Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Yeah, the further I walk with Jesus, the more I understand that. He is the best thing that's ever happened to me. Amen? Imagine your life without Jesus. I mean, imagine your marriage, your family, your children, uh, yeah, the lives of your children. It would, it, would be, it would be your behavior, your lifestyle. Where would you be? Where would you be going? Where would you end up? He's the best thing that ever happened to me. Amen? Changed everything. Changed everything. I'm going to do it again. 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 5, verse 17. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Behold, look at it. Look, it's amazing. That's what the apostle's saying. Behold, look how astonishing this is. Look what the new birth does. Behold, old things have passed away. All things have become new. Amen? Amen. All right, Isaiah chapter 50. We're going to be in verse number 6. Uh, not tonight, but next Sunday night... Um, it's cool to say this, Sister Nina, our sister in the faith, will be getting baptized. So that's not, not tonight, but next Sunday night, Sister Nina will be getting baptized. So uh, do make plans for being a part of that service. Pray for her and her new Christian walk. Um, pray that she grows in the Lord. Pray that... The Lord uh, gives her much assurance and faith and wisdom and guidance. And I, I know and I have confidence that the good work he began in her, he will complete it. He will, as uh, in the book of Jude says, he will present her faultless in his presence with exceeding joy. Amen? He certainly will. Um, so the baptistry will be full. So uh, if, uh, if, if you're thinking and praying about even, let's say, it's an opportunity. That's what I'm getting at. If you... If you've not been baptized but you're a believer and you want to join the church, um, you can be baptized by immersion, then you could join. Um, it's a good opportunity to get baptized. If you were saved and you uh, maybe went to another church, never was baptized, and you can get baptized. If you've, if you've been saved and born again, and even if it was six weeks ago, a year ago, five years ago, I would encourage you, because the Lord wants you to, it's good uh, to be baptized, so uh, the water will be in there, it'll be ready, uh, so it's an opportunity to do that, to follow the Lord in believers' baptism, so uh, that's an opportunity, so the water will be there, it'll be warm, uh, it'll be, pray for us, we've had heater issues the past few times, haven't we been it, <laughs> so, uh, but we trust the Lord. It, hey, if the water's cold, that's okay too, ain't it? That's all right. It don't matter. In and out. Isaiah chapter 50, verse number 6. If you're there, say amen. 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 Isaiah chapter number 50, verse number 6. This is a prophecy. This is a messianic prophecy. This is a prophecy of the Messiah, our Lord Jesus Christ. As many of us know, this was written um, over 700 years before Christ. This is an Old Testament prophecy concerning what would take place in the life of Christ. Isaiah chapter 50, verse number 6. The prophet said, I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. 
Heavenly Father, thank you for this service. Thank you, Jesus, in your name for our worship time, our Sunday school time, our fellowship, for what you're doing in our church, the answered prayers. Lord, the souls that have been saved. Lord, we worship and praise you. You get all the credit, the glory, and the honor. You are the head of this New Testament church. And Lord, thy will be done, not our own. And we thank you, Lord. Show us, continue to teach us how to be a church, how to live as a church, and grow as a church. Lord, bless us now as we consider this passage. We pray your will would be done by your word in our lives. And Lord, I pray God for your blessings to receive it and for myself to preach it. In your name, Jesus, Lord, we ask these things this morning. Amen. Isaiah is, is prophesying as if, as if he was there. It's like he could write the gospel records. It's incredible. It, this gives a lot, of, a lot of credibility to the gospel because it's hard to, it, it's impossible. I'll just run through a few prophecies. It's impossible to determine where you're going to be born. You have nothing to do with that. Okay? It's impossible to determine that you're going to go to Egypt as a toddler. It's, it's, that's impossible for you to determine that as a toddler. Jesus, born in Bethlehem, born of a virgin, went to Egypt. It's impossible to determine as a young child, are you going to tell your daddy? I think I'm going to, we're all going to move to Nazareth. He would be called a Nazarene. It's impossible to do these things. So these Old Testament prophecies, they give credibility, if we could add Sunday morning sermon, to the historic Jesus of Nazareth. It gives credibility to what took place in the life of our Christ and our Lord. It's impossible to determine how you're going to talk Pilate into crucifying you a certain way. It's impossible for you to make the people at the foot of your cross that you predicted you would die on, that was predicted in Psalms 22 and Isaiah 53 and Psalm, and Psalm 69. It's impossible to, to make them gamble for your clothes. You see how this is working? It's impossible. So this prophecy gives legitimacy, credibility to the... To the to the, narrative, to the narrative of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So this is a prophecy that prophesies what's going to happen to our Lord as He's on trial and being crucified. Now we know this is speaking about the Lord for any doubters. This passage is absolutely speaking of deity. That the one in verse 6 that is spat on, beard ripped off, and, and, and smitten in the back, whipped, is... Deity. Because if you look at, if you look at verses 2 and 3, who, who is this talking about? Wherefore, when I came, was, was there no man? When I called, was there none to answer? Is my hand shortened at all that I cannot redeem? I mean, who can redeem? It's, this is the Lord. Or have I not power to deliver? Behold, at my rebuke, I dry up the sea. Can you dry up Norris Lake? No. I make the rivers a wilderness. Can you, can you make the Tennessee riverbed a wilderness? No. Um, the, their fish stinketh because there is no water and dieth for thirst. You can't do that. Um, I clothe the heavens with blackness. You can't do that. I make sackcloth their covering. Some would even say verse 3 is a prophecy of Jesus on the cross when, when the sun is darkened, when he is dying on Mount Calvary. So this is speaking about the Lord. And the same I, we, we follow that narrative, it's the same I, I, give, I gave my back to the smiters. 
I gave my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. So this is absolutely, so there's no confusion. This is speaking about the Lord in verse number 6. So Isaiah predicted, and let's keep it in mind, Isaiah predicted that Jesus would be scourged. I gave my back to the smiters. That's what Isaiah predicted. Isaiah predicted that Jesus would be spat upon in verse number 6. Isaiah predicted that the beard would be plucked off of his face in Isaiah chapter 50 and verse number 6. If you really hated somebody, this is what you'd do to them, wouldn't it? It's like the mo- all three of these things are the most disgraceful things that you can do to somebody. Spit on somebody. Pluck the hair off somebody's face, a man. Whip them like a dog or an animal. Just whip them. This is the most disrespectful, dishonoring, humiliating, degrading thing you can do to somebody. This takes the humanity away from somebody. This is, you're treating them less than a human being at this point. This is the worst of the worst. This is one of the worst of the worst things that can happen to somebody. I know there's a lot of bad things that can happen to people. But if you want to degrade somebody, this is what you would do. Now, according to the pulpit commentary... If you wanted to humiliate a Jew, you would, you would rip the beard or shave their beard off their faces. Because according to Jewish culture, a beard is a symbol of manhood. That means you've come of age. I'm a man today. i got a beard. Amen? If, you're, if you wore a beard, it's, it's symbolic of, of maturity. And so the Jews would rip or shave off someone's hair, facial hair, to degrade them and humiliate them. Um, Hanan did it in 2 Samuel chapter 10, verse 4, when he shaved off half the beard of David's servants. See, they were so embarrassed by this to, as a Jewish man that they didn't want to even meet the king until their beard grew back. They waited to see King David until their beard grew back. Nehemiah, in chapter number 13 of the book of Nehemiah, when uh, they were... They were unequally yoked with the unbelievers, the Jewish men, would they were marrying Gentile brides. He's so angry about this, get this, he rips the hair off them. He's mad. He's humiliating them for what they've done. So the point is here, Isaiah is predicting that they're going to humiliate the Lord Jesus Christ. Now Isaiah predicted it, but, but the Lord Jesus also predicted it. If you look at Luke chapter number 18, our Lord, he's, he is also given a prophetic word here, and he is saying the same thing. He's saying that they're going to do this to me. In Isaiah, excuse me, Luke chapter number 18 and verse number 31, the Bible says, Then he took unto them the twelve and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all the things that were written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. For he shall be delivered, he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles, and shall be mocked, and spitefully entreated, and spitted on. Jesus said, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go fulfill everything that the prophets wrote about me. So what what are, what does our mind and our heart begin to think? He's the Messiah. He's the fulfillment of Old Testament scripture. Jesus is the one. He's the one. And he's saying that. He's saying, I'm going to go do this and And imagine that he is voluntarily going and all scripture must be fulfilled and he is going to be the sacrifice for sinners 
But he's also going to prove and to legitimize Old Testament Scripture. So what is it? I'm, it, it? This to me makes me more accountable to God. And it should you too. It, the reason why you should get right with Jesus is because God had this plan over 3,000 years ago. There's a, there's a program going on and you are not in charge. You see how it works? You are not in charge at all. It's all going according to plan. It's all going the right way. So you better get in the right plan and you better go the right way. And of course our mind is thinking Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And there's no way you can get to the Father except by Him. You see it? So Jesus is saying, I'm going to go do this. He, this is a big deal, isn't it? I'm what Isaiah prophesied about. He says, when I get there, when I get there, they're going to mock me, spitefully entreat me, they're going to spit on me, and they're going to scourge me, and they're going to put me to death, verse 33, but praise God, and the third day he shall rise again. Amen? But what love Jesus has for us. I'm going to go there, they're going to do these things. When I get there, they're going to rip my beard off. When I get there, they're going to spit on me. When I get there, they're going to scourge me. i got to go to Jerusalem. I'm, I, I am impressed by the love of Jesus here, aren't you? Here's what I would do. If they're going to do that over there, I ain't going to Jerusalem. Are you? If they're going to do that over there, I'm not going to go. But Jesus said, I, behold, we go up to Jerusalem. I'm going to Jerusalem. Well, a few weeks ago, our kids were... We tried to keep it, keep it from Maddie, but it was shot time at the doctor, you know. If we told Maddie, <laughs> she did so good. But if we told Maddie, when you get there, they're going to take a needle, and they're going to stick it in your skin, and they will give you a shot. She wouldn't want to go there, would she? But Jesus knows what's going to happen. And he says, we, behold, we're going to Jerusalem. We're going to Jerusalem. So Jesus predicted it. Now I want you to turn to the book of Mark and Jesus not only predicted it, but Jesus lived it. So the prophecy was fulfilled in Jesus of Nazareth. So in Mark chapter number 14, we have the trial of Jesus. So I want, let's build our faith. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So Isaiah said he's going to be spit on. He's going to be mocked. He's going to have his beard ripped off. He's going to be scourged. Jesus said in Luke 18, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be scourged, I will be spit on, I'm going to be treated badly, I'm going to be crucified, and the third day I'm going to rise again. So it's all going according to plan. This is a whole lot bigger than you, amen? This is, this is so our faith should be growing. So then Mark, and from last Sunday morning, if you remember, Mark possibly, historically, learned the gospel through the apostle Peter. So Peter, it's possible he's telling Mark, and Mark is the first New Testament gospel that is written. It, it, is, it is written a little bit after the book of 1 Corinthians. So this is early on after Jesus died. So Mark is writing, who also was hung out with the apostle Paul, hung out with the, with the apostles at Jerusalem, and Mark is writing this historical account. And Mark says this about Jesus in the same generation as Jesus lived. So here we have Jesus on trial. And in Mark chapter 14, he's on trial before the Jewish leaders. If we read the story of John, John's account, who saw Jesus crucify, who saw Jesus alive after he's dead, John the apostle said they took Jesus after he was arrested in Gethsemane, they took Jesus first to Ananias and then to Caiaphas' house, 
and then the next morning on to Pilate, then to Herod, and then back to Pilate, and then crucified. So here we have in Mark 14, Jesus is standing before the Jewish leaders. And he says, you, he said, Jesus said in verse 62, they asked him, art thou the Christ? Verse 61, the son of the blessed. And Jesus said, I am. He said, I am. And in response to that statement, to them it's blasphemous. Look at verse 64. You've heard the blasphemy. What think ye, they said. And they all condemned him to be guilty of death. And some began to spit on him. They began to spit on Jesus. Spit on God. Spit on the Messiah. Verse 65, they began to spit on him and to cover his face. And that's an interesting account that's a detail because in the prophecy of Isaiah chapter number 50, verse 6, Jesus said, he said, I hid not my face from shame. He didn't, they did. They covered his face. He didn't cover his face. They covered his face and buffeted him and to say unto him, prophesy, and the servants did strike him with the palms of their hands. They cover him up and they play a game with him. And they hit him, and they're saying, if you're the Christ, you'll know which one's hitting us, because they blindfolded him. So here, they're spitting on him. They're mocking him. They're belittling him. The next day, so that's bad, isn't it? The next day, Mark chapter 15, Jesus stands before Pilate. Pilate has him scourged. Then after the scourging, remember he gave his back to the smiters. Then after the scourging, that's not a statement to be taken lightly either. And they scourged him. We should, for a moment. They tied him to a post and they whipped him. Possibly with a cat of nine tails. You know, uh, what the Bible called it a thong. It was a, had a handle with leather ribbons on it. And on those ribbons, it's quite possible, there were stones and pieces of glass and, I don't know, treble hooks. Anything you can find out of the tackle box, you know. Anything that'll do the damage that we want without killing him. We want him to wish he was dead. We want him to be in so much pain, he wishes that he was dead, but we don't want him to die. And they whipped him at a post before they crucified him. And after they got done whipping him with the, with the scourging, verse number 19, and they smote him on the head with a reed, and again, and did spit upon him. So he's been hit and spat on and ridiculed and humiliated and scourged. So in between what happened the night before, the spitting, the covering his face, the striking him with the palms of their hands, that would be bad enough, wouldn't it? The next day, he goes through it again. Oftentimes, I've always thought, oh, they only did that once. He's doing it again. Verse 19 of Mark 15. And they smote him on the head with a reed and did spit upon him, and bowing their knees, worshipped him. Wouldn't you want to be there just to clean his face up? Wouldn't you want to? You think they let him clean his face up? You think they let him take a baby wipe and take wipe the, 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 the loogie that some godless blasphemer spit on his face? You think they gave him an opportunity to freshen up from the night beating onto this day's beating? It's terrible. It's, 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 it's humiliating what he's going through, isn't it? 
So Luke 15, 19, they smote him again on the head with a reed and spit upon him and bowing their knees, they worshipped him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple from him and put his own clothes on him and led him out to crucify him. Jesus loves you, friend. He loves you so much. He loves you so, so much, don't he? I mean, and he knew this was going to happen. He went. This has happened twice already. Now, there is no gospel record that... They, there is no account specifically that they ripped the beard off his face in the gospel record. But we can trust prophecy that it's been proven over and over again. And it's possible that, the, that it was when the Jews were buffeting him and striking him because it's a Jewish custom to humiliate someone condemned to die. And there's also some evidence that the Jews, the male Jews who were crucified, had their beards ripped off. The point of it is, if you want to humiliate somebody, what would you do? Well, you'd spit on them. You'd whip them with, with a, with a, with, with, you'd scourge them. You'd do everything possible to humiliate this person, wouldn't you? When he got to the cross, they stripped him of his clothes. And I've learned that the cross probably wasn't 15 foot up in the air. The cross typically, historically, was about two foot off the ground. So Jesus is dying and his feet are two to three feet off the ground. And what is stopping anyone, even in that moment, to spit on him some more? To mock him some more? To humiliate him some more? He's not so far away that you can't see him on Mount Calvary. They passed by wagging their heads at him. He is close to their field of vision. Jesus loves you, amen? He loves you so much. Praise the Lord for what he's done, amen? He did it for you. He's going through that for you. For you, enduring the shame. For you. Let's go back to our text. Isaiah 50, verse number 6. Pilate, after they scourged him, so Jesus, he, he comes back to the, the judgment hall, okay? So now he's before the judgment hall again, and they've been sending him to Herod, back to Pilate. He's went to Ananias, the, the father-in-law, the high priest, then Caiaphas, the high priest, and then he goes to Pilate, and Pilate says, I, listen, even Judas said, I've, he's, I've, I've shed innocent blood. Pilate's wife said, have nothing to do with this just man. Pilate himself said that, uh, there, that why, what hath he done? I find no fault in him at all. Even the Jews' witnesses could not agree that he's done anything wrong. The only thing that condemned him was the truth and that he agreed yes I am the Messiah that's what condemned him so Pilate brings him back at the, at the judgment hall before the whole crowd and here's what he said Pilate said behold your king behold your beardless beaten scourged king and Pilate said I'll just I'll, I'll just chasten him and let him go. Behold your king. I think, Pilate's saying, isn't this enough? He's beardless. 
He's bruised. He's broken. He's been scourged. He is bleeding. He's dehydrated. He's, he's went through Gethsemane. He sweat great drops of blood. He's went through the beating before the leaders of the Jews. He's went through the beating of the, of the scourging. He's been hit on the head with a reed. They put a crown of thorns on his head too. And now he's crowned with thorns. His beard ripped off. And possibly his eyes are swollen shut. And his lips are cracked. And they're broken. And he's bleeding from every vessel of his face. Behold your king, he says. Do you see him? Do you see Jesus? Pilate said, Behold your king. No sympathy. They said, Crucifying, crucifying, crucifying. Give us Barabbas away with this man. Crucify him. Behold your king. Do you see him? Behold him. It's a good sermon, Pilate. Behold the Messiah. Behold the sacrifice for sinners. Behold Him. Do you see Him? I I want to be saved. And yes, and yes, yes, and behold Him. Look unto Him. Look, don't you see Him? Uh, Is it? Oh, I wish I could think of the chapter in Isaiah. Look unto me, all ye ends of the earth, and be ye saved. Jesus said, as they lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth on Him should not perish, but shall have everlasting life. The writer of Hebrews says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, behold your King! Behold Him. Makes me want to worship Him, don't you? (laughs) Like the song, uh, The Old Rugged Cross, This beauty, this strange beauty, it has a strange attraction to me. Behold Him. I also want to add, what in this world can you add to your salvation that Jesus has not accomplished on His own? What can you add to that? Behold your King. Our text says, behold your... Notice the language. Jesus says, I, I gave... My back to the spiders. Jesus gave His back to the spiders. Jesus is the sacrifice for your sins. Jesus said, I must go to Jerusalem. Jesus wanted to go to Jerusalem. I gave my back to the spiders. You see it? They didn't just arrest Jesus and catch Him off guard and then crucify Him. And then God changed the narrative and say, since they crucified Me, I'm going to use this and I'm going to make it an atonement for sin. No, Jesus gave Himself for you. He gave Himself. Even the geography of the land. Jesus is on the Mount of Olives at, at, at Gethsemane and He, remember they they cross from, the, from Jerusalem on the mountain on the top and they walk through the brook of Kidron and it's prophecy when Jesus goes back like David did. He crosses the creek from the garden of Gethsemane and Jesus is literally probably praying and looking at the temple guards as they're being led by Judas to come and arrest him. He ain't running from nobody. He even asked them, said, Why didn't, I'm not running from you. Are you Jesus of Nazareth? He said, yeah, I am. That's me. Let's go. Let's go. He gave 
He gave. He gave His back to the smiters. Jesus said, I come to give my life a ransom for many. John 10, He said, no man taketh it from me. I lay down my life. No, you ain't taking my life from me. Even on the cross, remember, He gave up the ghost. He did it. He did it. I gave my back to the smiters. I gave my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. Isn't that incredible? He gave himself. In Isaiah 53, the, the language as he is, he is led as a lamb before the slaughters, as a sheep before her shears is dumb. It's a sheep is in feminine Hebrew form. And the male sheep always resist. But the female sheep don't when they're getting sheared. And so he is going without resistance as a lamb to the slaughter. He told Pilate, for this reason I was born, remember. You have no power over me, he said. You have no authority over me, Jesus says. For this reason I've came into the world. Oh, how He loves us. Amen? Isn't it amazing what Christ has done? He, verse 6, Isaiah 50, I gave my back to the smiters. I gave my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. He knew what they were going to do and He leaned into it. Oh, what love that Jesus has for you. If I could quote it, Carolyn sings it, I believe. The love of God. Oh, if every man on, if every scribe on earth a quill, if every stalk on earth a quill, and every scribe, every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above, would, if the ocean was as ink, to write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry, wouldn't it? Even now, oh God, I have no vocabulary or intellect or insight or metaphors or hyperbole or figures of speech or adjectives to describe the love that Christ has for you. I just know for God so loved the world He gave His only begotten Son. Gave gave, gave, gave Him to you. I gave my back to the smiters. I gave my cheeks. It's incredible, isn't it? Imagine Jesus. We don't have, this, is, this is truth. This is fact. Jesus, they took Him to the whipping post without resistance. They might have chained Him to the post Without a struggle. He didn't dodge one, listen to me, he didn't dodge one blow. Not one. I remember growing up with my brother, my dad wanted to get in trouble. He was going to get a spanking. My dad would say, which one of you is going to go first? And I learned quickly that Sean resisted arrest. <laughs> You remember Sean and he was, man, he was squirming and he was agile. And my dad would get mad and it was, it was Sean's fault, you know. And 
he would miss and he would hit Sean's legs or his upper back. And then I'm like watching this scene and I'm like, I'm next. Like, this is all. And uh, then I'd get it, so I finally learned I'll go first. Because my dad would get frustrated after he whipped Sean and I'd just take it, you know. And then, but I, I thought about that yesterday and Jesus, though, seriously. He did not dodge one blow. He gave his back and gave it. He gave his back to the smiters. What you don't know, ain't you heard? He could have called 10,000 angels. The Creator God on a whipping post. It's the glory of the Gospel, isn't it? Paul even tried to come to terms with it. To wit, I've quoted it often, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself. He gave, He gave His back, He gave His cheeks to them that plucked off the hair, and I hid not my face from shame and spitting. And we've beholded Him, but let's listen for a moment. Let's listen. We've seen Him. We've behold. Behold your King! But let's listen to Him being whipped. Listen. Listen as they rip the beard off of His face. You listening? Listen to Him. Listen as the, as the scourging sound, as the whip hits the flesh. You listening? Listen as they hit him on the head with a reed. Please listen carefully. Listen as they mock him. Listen as they drive the nails into his hands and his feet. Listen carefully. Are you listening? But here's what's amazing. You won't hear him utter a word. Next chapter over Isaiah 53. Isaiah chapter number 53, verse number, verse number 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He never said stop. He never moaned in a way that would encourage them to stop. He never, never expressed any vocal noise to gain some sympathy from these monsters who are whipping him. He never cried to try to pick, find some sympathy in this man to get him to stop. He opened not his mouth. And why would he do that? I thought about that the other day. Well, I, I know, yeah... Uh, but why, why would he do that? Because we can add Hebrews 12 for the joy that was set before him. He went on. For the love that was set before him. The joy, it's you. Because if he moaned and he cried, we'd get the wrong impression that he wanted it to stop. But as much as I know his humanity hated the pain, he gave himself. He volunteered to go. 
Wouldn't it be inconsistent if the Messiah who wanted to go to Jerusalem, when He got there, expressed some to the whole world some regret that He was in that moment? What a Savior. I do this a lot. He died in His strength. <laughs> Masculinity on display mingled with divinity. The toughness of Christ. The love of Christ. <laughs> the persistence of Christ. Christ, Jesus, opened not His mouth. No wonder Paul said, Be ye not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's your reasonable service. No wonder the writer of Hebrews said, Consider him that endured such contradictions of sinners against himself, lest you grow weary and faint in your mind. I don't know about you, Bryson, but it makes me think, I'll just roll on a little bit longer. I'll just go on another week. He opened not his mouth. You want, let me add one more. Jesus is going up Golgotha. He's, he's under the load of the cross and Simon, the Cyrenian, he's, he's carrying the load with Jesus. And Jesus looks and he beholds the ladies of Jerusalem. And they're crying and they're weeping. You know the story? And they're crying because they see this beardless, beaten, broken, bloody Messiah. A trail of blood and mockers and the scourgers and they got the nails in, his, in their hands and they got the hammer and they're going up to Golgotha's hill. And like any, maybe his mother and his friends and the ladies of Jerusalem and they're weeping over Jesus and he turns and he looks at them in, Luke, in the book of Luke and he looks at them without a beard. Eyes probably half swollen shut with big splits in his lip and big knots on his head where they hit him with a reed and he's got a crown of thorns on his head and they're weeping and here's what he said, don't weep for me. Praise the Lord, amen? He said, don't weep for me. I know what I'm doing. I know exactly what I'm doing. Don't weep for me. He said, yea, rather weep for yourselves and weep for your children. I'm doing this for you all. You are the ones that have the issues. You are the ones that have troubles. You are the ones that have sin. I know what I'm doing. Don't weep for me. You weep for yourselves. Repent and believe the gospel. Mourn for him in whom you have pierced. Worry about why He's there. Be concerned about why would God 700-something years before prophesy He'd be beardless and spat on and scourged and then Jesus predicted it and then it happened and He arose from the dead. You and I should go, I better give Him more earnest heed to the things which I've heard. I better, not be, I better be careful that I don't neglect so great a salvation I better make sure my election and calling is sure. I better make sure that I, it's Jesus only and not my works, not my baptism, not my confession, not my good deeds. It is Him. I better be sure. I better be sure. You know, when Jesus died, the centurion got it, didn't he? 
he said, surely this is the Son of God. Surely. The thief on the cross got it, didn't he? One of them did. He got it. And you know what's crazy about that? I'm finishing up. The beardless, broken, beaten, bruised Christ. The, the thief who was converted first was cussing, cursing, blaspheming. And then after six hours dying next to Jesus, he said, would you remember me? Would you remember me? Maybe it was the, when Jesus, who was beardless, scourged, and smitten, pierced now, crowned with thorns, maybe it's right at the moment they put him on the cross, he heard the Lord Jesus say, it's incredible now, especially in context of this, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. When did he say that? Naked, beardless, scourged, spat on twice, two occasions. Probably keep going on because he's probably just a few feet off the ground. And he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You know what? Let's add one. You know, they, he was, they gave him vinegar mingled with myrrh, right? Or, so that's what? That's a painkiller. He didn't take it. Nope. Incredible. Jesus loves you. He said, no, I don't want no painkiller. <laughs> hey, I, if I got a little headache, I'm getting me some ibuprofen, ain't you? <laughs> but my Lord said, no, I don't want no painkiller. Your bones are showing, Jesus. I'm good. Aren't you going to cry out? Mm-mm. I know what I'm doing. I don't want no sympathy. I know what I'm doing. For this reason, I come into the world. Hey, Jesus, there's an inch-long crown of thorns on your head. You know the scalp bleeds a lot when you cut it. You know it? Boxers even deal with that. When blood gets in the eyes, it's hard to even see. Forgive them, Lord. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I know what I'm doing. They don't know. You see the irony of that? He knows what he's doing. They don't know. He knows what he's doing. You don't know. You need Jesus if you don't have him. You need the Lord. You need the Lord. Speared him, didn't they? Speared him. They didn't break a bone because Psalms 22 said, you ain't going to break no bones. No bones. The Bible also says, Psalm 22, that they'll be, uh, they're going to pierce his side. And they did, and they're going to pierce his hands and his feet. Although the New Testament never says the word nail. But Jesus did say, come here, Thomas, put your finger in the nail print in my hand. They pierced his hands and his feet. He's going to break his legs, but Psalms 22 told him not to. Even when he's dead, prophecy was being fulfilled. You better pay attention to the one dying on the middle cross. Something's going on. Something's going on. Repent and believe the gospel. Christian, get right with Jesus. Get right with Jesus. They ripped his beard off for you. Get right with Jesus. You want revival? Think about that. They ripped his beard off for you, and he leaned into it and said, Here, you forgot a side. You forgot a side. Praise him. Amen? Praise him. Put him in a borrowed tomb, didn't they? 
Wrapped him up in grave clothes, didn't they? <laughs> I bet you Mary was patting his cheeks where the beard was. Degraded her son. That's okay. His father's going to glorify him. That's fine. You do what you want to. That's fine. You do what you will. Because Jesus also said that on the third day, I'm coming back alive from the dead. So the beardless, spat on, humiliated, scourged, crowned with thorns, pierced with nails, died on a cross, driven with a spear. Was he dead? Was he dead? Yeah, he's dead. But on the third day, talk about irony. <laughs> no wonder Peter said, he said it three times I learned this week. He said it on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. He said, you crucified him. He said it after the miracle of the temple when they healed the lame man. He told the people, he said, don't look on us as if, as if by our holiness or by our own power we've made this man rise from rise up and walk. Jesus, whom you crucified, and his name through faith in his name has made this man whole. And then even before the Sanhedrin, these same beard pluckers, Peter said, yeah, you all crucified him. But God hath raised him up from the dead. He ain't dead no more. Now here's the point of the gospel, and I'm through. It should put you in a corner, okay? You're in a corner. If you've had ears to hear and you've listened, you're in a corner. You've been cornered. You've been cornered by prophecy. You've been cornered by scripture. You've been cornered by, by logic, by reason, and you've been cornered by the Holy Spirit of God. And you're cornered. And the only way out is Jesus. You've been cornered. You're not smarter than prophecy. Your life experience, your lifespan, you'll never be able to discredit the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for those who have ears to hear, you've been cornered. The response to that is repent and believe the gospel of Jesus. You've been cornered. There's a good book a friend of mine told me they read it. You should read it too. Written by Lee Strobel, who was an atheist. He worked for the Chicago Tribune. Tribune. He was so sick of all you Christians testifying about faith. And he said, you know what? They're so lunatics, they're lunatics and they're fools and they're uneducated, I'm going to disprove this Christianity. And when he came to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Lee Strobel testified after all this evidence, he come to this point, I'm either going to have to receive this or reject it because I can't deny it anymore. I can't deny it. You're either going to have to receive it or reject it. But you can't deny it. You can't deny it. If you're not saved this morning, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. They ripped his beard off, but he gave himself to do it. Repent. Not you no more. 
by faith turn to Christ, call upon His name, and thou shalt be saved. He said, I need to talk to Him. I don't know why you wouldn't talk to Him. It's between you and Him. I don't know why in the world you wouldn't want to talk to Him. Speak to Him. Because He lives. He's alive. He makes sense. Talk to Him. Receive Him by faith. So what is faith? That's like you talking to Him. You're looking to Him. That's faith. You don't have to understand it. That's it. You wouldn't look to Him unless you believed. Do you see it? You're looking to Christ. That is faith. Look unto Him and be ye saved. Faith. If you'll receive Jesus as your Savior this morning, you'll be born again. Old things will pass away. All things will become new. Amen. If you're a Christian here this morning and you've got cold and indifferent, I hope you behold Him today. You behold Him. Do you see Him? Do you see Him? And I hope you listen too. Please listen. Get close. Get close to Him. When they rip out His beard, He opened not His mouth. He has no regret even while it's happening. You live for Him. You live for Him. What would it gain you if you gained the whole world and lost your soul? You give it all up. You follow Him. Amen. You get beside Him. They're going to drive the nails in His hands and His feet. They're going to drive one big spike historically from the top, from this foot, down through the the heel of this foot, into the top of this one, and through the heel of that one to hold it. Through the heel bone. Listen. While they do it, He opened not His mouth. It's incredible. He did it for you. He did it for you. Let's stand to our feet. What song are we going to sing, Bryson? Page 119. Behold him, Pilate said. Behold him. What a Savior. Amen? What a Savior. Now he stands with outstretched arms. He says, you come to me. (laughs) With his beard and all of his glory. John saw it. In all of his glory, he said, you come to me. Behold, I am he that died, now liveth. Come to me, he says. At the end of Revelation, he says, Whosoever will, let him come. You come. You come to me, he says. You come to me. He is, although you receive him today or not, if you've not been saved, he is, though, unavoidable. I don't know how you'd ever get away from him. He's your creator. He's coming to judge He is inevitable. Make peace with Him. Is it Psalms chapter 2? Kiss the Son, lest He be angry with you and you perish from the way. Come make peace with Him now. Come tell Him you're sorry now. Because one day it'll be too late. It'll be too late. As we sing together, you obey the Lord Jesus.